You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. We are continuing our study of the Old Testament book of Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. And the reason why I picked it is because it's, as the last book, it's the last word that God has for his people to speak to them directly, preparing them for the first Christmas when Jesus is going to come as a baby 400 years from then. And amazingly, what God focuses on in the book of Malachi is relationships, relationships with him, relationships with one another, starting with members of our family. Sociologists tell us that every one of us will have relations with anywhere from 500 to 2,500 people in a year that you'll relate to. But we will spend 40% of our time with the same group of people. And those usually are the people that are nearest and dearest to us. If you're married and or have kids, it's those people. And those are the ones that you love the most and have the most relational frustration with. And what happens is that we reach a point of a test of perseverance. And the perseverance test is this. Are we going to go forward or are we going to give up? Are we going to hang in or are we going to hang it up? This is true of our relationship with God. It's also true of our relationship with our spouse. And this is where the people of Malachi 2 find themselves. They're not atheists, but they're frustrated. They're worn out. They're tired. They're, they're wearing thin. And it's kind of where maybe some of you all are. And God has a specific word for them regarding their relationship with him and their relationship with one another that applies to us as well. So, all right, what we're going to do today is deal with the two most important relationships. And your first, your most important relationship is your relationship with God. And then your second most important relationship is that with your spouse. So if you're married, that's your second most important relationship Well, their relationships were out of order. So God is going to seek to reset them. Here's where we find ourselves in Malachi 2 in verse 10. Malachi is writing what what God is inspiring him to write. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? And now in this next verse, he's going to mention Judah and Jerusalem and and all of Israel. Just think of it as God's people. This is the family of God that's being addressed. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves. That's the temple where uh, the presence of the Lord is to reside. How, has, how have God's people desecrated the sanctuary? By marrying, by marrying women who worship a foreign God. As for the man who does this, so he's speaking first to the men, being first responsible for this. Whoever he may be, may the Lord remove from him, remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's 
altar with tears. You weep. You wail. It's, it's drama. Because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. Here's what God is saying. Everybody's really hurting and they're all emotional. And God says, let's pull back. Let's look at the big picture. The pain is being caused by the problem of your structured relationships. They're not structured right. He says, the way to end this relational pain is to start first, most important relationship, the relationship with me. So whatever or whomever you're dealing with, the first issue is you've got to find the Lord in the midst of it. And you ask, how's my relationship with the Lord? And if the Lord is not in the position of priority that it should be, that's where the problems come. And then God tells us two things. He creates us and he's our father. So he's our creator. That makes him our maker. This is where we find meaning in life. Atheists have a problem giving life meaning because here's how it works. If you come from no one, you're here for no reason, and when you die, you're going nowhere, there's no meaning in that. Instead, Christianity says you come from God. He made you, and you're here on a divine assignment in a mission that gives your life meaning and purpose and value. Not only do you come from God, but you are here for God. And when you die, you give an account, but you have an eternal relationship with him. So all of life, according to the Bible, finds its meaning, its value, its purpose in a relationship with God. That's the storyline of the Bible. So God is your creator. And if you're not a Christian or you don't think biblically, I need you to know that your life is not an accident. Your life is divinely appointed by God and he knows you, loves you, cares for you. He has a destiny, plan, and purpose for you. And he says that this relationship with you is like a father. And for those of us who are parents, boy, once you get your kid, it changes everything. And, and that, oppor that first opportunity and any opportunity you have to, to hold your child or your grandchild, and you're like, oh my goodness, the way I feel about this child is how the Lord feels about me. That child has done nothing to earn your love. You just give it. That child has done nothing to deserve a relationship. But man, it just starts with a relationship, doesn't it? That means that God is loving. God is relational. That's the context of Malachi. It's like God calls this family meeting and he pulls all his kids together and he says to them, okay, look, I know things are painful. I know things are hard. I know things are complicated. Let's just start with this. I made you. And secondly, I love you. I'm your dad. And I'm calling a family meeting because I'm going to give you some instruction to help you. That's the whole heart and context of the book of Malachi. And so what God is saying is that part of the problem is in our relationships, if we invert them and we put spouse or child or friend or coworker in the position of God, we are going to overwhelm them and we are going to exhaust them because they are finite. God is infinite and our relational issues are infinite. 
And if we put a finite person in an infinite position, we are going to exhaust them and we are going to disappoint ourselves. So what God is saying is, I know you've got some relational problems, but the first problem is that we don't have a healthy relationship. And as a result, you are seeking from others, starting with your spouse, to meet some needs that only I can meet. So God is saying, let's work on our relationship. So here's what I would tell you. Whatever pain or problem, whatever temptation, trouble or trial, first things first, how's your relationship with God? Because until that is strong, everything else will be weak. Until that is mended, everything else will be broken. So number one, your most important relationship is your relationship with God. Now, number two, the relationship with your spouse is your second most important relationship. Here's how they go on. You ask why. They're asking God. We saw this earlier in Malachi. How come you don't bless us? And God has said, because you've got everything in your life structured poorly. I'm not going to bless your plan. I bless my plan. So if you want blessing, right, you've got to get rid of your agenda and adopt mine. So here's what I need you to know. God blesses his plan. He doesn't bless your plan. That's why we all need to seek his will. You ask why. It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. How many of you know that God attends your wedding? Sometimes when we have the wedding here in church or as a pastor really in any venue in which as a pastor I'm leading a wedding, what do we do? We call husband and wife to come up to the altar and we're going to say words over them. And if we're not careful, we'll just kind of do lip service with, with God, you know, being present with us and we just kind of move on. And God's like, no, actually that's true. You see, God attends the wedding. He says, I'm there as a witness. God is there as a witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your, co of your marriage covenant. Who he's talking to here are the men. So let me talk to men. We looked at this verse when we did the marriage series just a few weeks ago. Let me remind you what we talked about. Men tend to see marriage as contractual, not covenantal. This is why men win at work and lose at home, why they're good with money and bad with relationships. Let me just say this. The way you do business is not the way you do family. Let me remind you of some of the differences between contract and covenant. Contracts aren't bad. We need contracts in business. But the transaction of goods and services is not how we do Christian marriage. The Bible says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So what that means is that God's people need to think differently. In a contract marriage, there's two people, you and me. But in a covenant marriage, there are three people. It's you, me, and God. And so God is involved. 
He says, I'm at your wedding. I was a witness. I'm part of this. In a contract, I seek my best interests. In a covenant, I seek God's will for our best interests. God, what do you want? What's your plan? What's your desire for our relationship? In a contract, we negotiate terms. It's like two people that have competing interests and, all right, we're going to have to settle on something here. What's, what's the goal? Well, the goal in a contract is to win. The goal in a covenant is to worship. You see the difference. The goal in contract is I keep a record. I'm going to keep a record of the wrongs. Have you ever had that? Almost like a performance review in in marriage. You're like, you know, sweetheart, it's time for that performance review. I interviewed all the kids. You're not getting a bonus this year. But we do have some things we've got to talk about. Here's more about the two difference, the difference between the two. In a contract, I punish failure. In a covenant, I forgive failure. In a contract, again, the goal is win at all costs. In a covenant, we're not seeing who wins. It's the two of us acting as one, worshiping him. Now, all of this is certainly true of both men and women, but he's speaking particularly to the men. And so in this, what kind of relationship does God have with you if you're a believer? Covenant, right? God serves you. God forgives you. God doesn't have a record of wrongs. God helps you to worship. God wants a personal relationship. That's why you can't lose your salvation. That's why if you're adopted into the family of God, you don't have to worry about your eternal salvation. If it's a contractual relationship with God, God would be like this. All right, you're good for right now. But the moment you mess up, you're going to stop being a kid and you're going to become kindling. God doesn't do that because he's a father. Now, this next section is going to talk more about marriage. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. You see, the, the believer has the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in their relationship. That means that marriage is supernatural. That means that a believing couple has a resource that an unbelieving couple does not. God gives the Holy Spirit to those who walk with him so they can experience a measure of his power in their relationships. What this means is for your marriage to glorify God, it cannot be natural. It must be supernatural because you're going to need to love with a love that you don't have. You're going to need to forgive with a forgiveness you don't possess. And you're going to have to persevere in something that's beyond your ability and capacity to do. But God gives the Holy Spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. We tend to thinking just having a good time. God wants us to think about leaving a good legacy. We tend to think in terms of days. He thinks in terms of generations. So the Bible is teaching us to build relationships 
so that lives and legacies are transformed, not just yours, but your children's and your children's children. Because what tends to happen is that we make decisions that are short-term and we don't think about future generations. Has that ever happened in your family? Look back at your family of origin through its history where decisions made that were short-sighted, not long-term, and as a result, they created problems in the future. Here's what you need to know. For many of you, maybe most of you, someone's coming in the future. If you have children, the decisions you make today will affect them. So you're not just victims of decisions made in the past. You are also determiners of those who are coming in the future and what sort of future they may have. And God comes to his people who are making these very short-term decisions. And God's like, no, 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 no. I want you to think long-term, legacy, lineage, godly offspring, not just offspring. How many of you have found that offspring is a lot easier than godly offspring? Have you found that out, right? I mean, maybe making babies is fun, but raising babies, that's work. You don't even have to be a believer to agree to that point. Malachi goes on. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. Be on your guard. Do not be unfaithful. You have wearied the Lord with your words. They are wearing God out. How many of you know that's hard to do? God is all-powerful and at this moment exhausted. He's using human language, of course. But they keep coming to God and saying, here's how we want it to be. Bless our plans. God's saying, that's not how it's going to work. You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask? So they're even kind of talking back to God, arguing with him. Here's how. By saying, all who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with them. Or by even asking, where is the God of justice? Now, let me say this. Some of the most difficult seasons in life are those in regards to relationship and family. So a couple things here. Some of these guys, they married women they shouldn't have. But they're married. And now they've got kids. And the guys are like, I want out. And God's like, hey, look, this is your family. You've got to work this out. Uh, Other men are are with a woman they don't want to be with, and they want to be with another woman. And God's like, that's too many. God is trying to focus their relationship with him to get them healthy so that they can have healthy relationships with one another. Now, for those of you that are single, let me share this. The second most important decision you will ever make is who you will marry. And so in making that decision, you can't make it short-term. You have to make it long-term and think about it. It's not just about having a good time. How do we have a good life? How do we leave a good legacy? And part of it too, single people, when you get together, you don't factor in children because they're not on the scene yet, but you need to factor them in and ask, what kind of marriage are we going to have? What kind of life are we going to have? What kind of God are we going to worship? What kind of kids are we going to raise? And what kind of spouse and parent are they going to be? It's about making the decision with a long view in mind. 
And those of you that are married, and statistically 91% of you will be married at some point, everything rises or falls with both of you having a healthy relationship with God. And think about this, couples. We put a lot of time, energy, and money into that first day of our married life, don't we? I mean, we can rack up some serious debt. There may be some dads here who don't have a clue how much a cake costs, but you will. What happens is we put a lot of time and energy and money into that first day, but you also need to keep the long view and and realize that the most important day is the last day. So what do you do from the first to the last? How do you grow? How do you get there? And what these people did is that they had an awesome first day, but they didn't plan for their last day. So what's happening here in Malachi is that these guys married in families they weren't supposed to, and their families are not rightly ordered or structured because they don't love, serve, or worship God. They're not healthy. And then extended families are coming into the immediate family and everybody's crying. It's, it's drama and it's emotional pain. And God says, let me restructure all of this with me and my word and authority and I'll bless my plan if you live out according to my plan. And then for those of you who are divorced, Malachi 2.16, the scripture we just read In some translations, it says God hates divorce. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say God hates the divorcee because God doesn't hate the divorcee. God loves the divorcee. What God hates is not the person who is divorced, but the pain that divorce causes. And every divorced person I know, they hate that too. So in saying that, look, here's God's standard. Some fall short of that and they ask, okay, so what about me? I've got good news for you. God does not divorce the divorcee. So even if your relationship with your spouse does not endure, your relationship with the Lord will always endure. And so what God is inviting you into is a healthy, loving, healing, changing, restoring, forgiving relationship that never ends. A relationship with him that never fails. He's used a word several times in Malachi to this point before saying that his people have been faithless. So what do we want to do? We want to have love and encouragement and mercy and compassion. And for those who have relational troubles, we also want to hold up a high godly standard and encourage perseverance to persevere with the Lord and persevere with your spouse if you're married. But this inevitably leads to some questions like, what does the Bible give as a reason for divorce? Some of you might think, well, man, that's a strange conversation to have with God, isn't it? God is saying, no, actually, uh, we're talking about marriage and family, relationship with me, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your kid. And God is talking about faith and family because it matters. And when the holidays come, it's faith and family that can sometimes be really frustrating. And this leads to, as God brings it up, my goal is not to pick on anyone, but to pick up the word of God. And what does he say? What are the biblical grounds for divorce? There, there are two. I'll start with abandonment, 1 Corinthians 7. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. 
The brother or sister, meaning in Christ, the one who's the believer, is not bound in such circumstances. Sometimes a non-Christian spouse, or maybe even one that you thought was a believer, wants nothing to do with the one who is a believer. What do you do in that situation? You can pray, you can wait, but at some point you got to move on. I've even seen where that spouse has moved to another state and nobody even knows where are they, where are they? we don't even know the second category that allows for divorce according to the bible is infidelity that is adultery and sexual immorality let me start with the old covenant Deuteronomy 22:22 If a man is found sleeping with another man's wife both the man who slept with her and the woman must die wow this is old covenant there wasn't a whole lot of paperwork back then it's not like hey you know your attorney and and their attorney now nah, this is pretty simple didn't happen all that often as i understand but it was an option what does jesus have to say the one who fulfills the law But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And in Matthew 19, he almost says the same thing. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Now, you just need to know that we live in a world that doesn't think that marriage is particularly important or that intimate relationships are particularly sacred. But God does. So what is God's plan for marriage? This from Jesus, also in Matthew 19, he says, haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. Let that last phrase sink in a minute. I think we in America don't don't believe that so much anymore. The creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and Jesus is going back to Genesis and be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. God's plan was a man and a woman. They marry, they consummate their marriage. The two become one flesh. They do life together. That's God's plan. And Jesus concludes it with this. So that they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate What he's saying is that some got divorced, but that was not God's intent and design. And if the two people would bring their heart to God and say to God, here's my heart, change my heart. Will God answer that prayer? Yes. And that will change their relationship. If you will bring your heart to God, he will change your heart And then two changed hearts make for a changed relationship. So a couple of things. If you're in a tough season or you're walking with somebody who's in a tough season, number one, your heart is wrong if you're actively seeking a way to make your circumstances fit some preconceived notion about getting out. 
well, how do I get out? And if you try to figure out a way, your heart is wrong. Number two, you don't have to end the relationship even if you have biblical grounds for it. People can forgive one another and reconcile and go from awful to wonderful. I've seen it happen. And number three, you can't make decisions in isolation. You need wise counsel. Now, I'm not talking about just bringing in those who agree with you and tell your side. I'm talking about a pastor, a Christian counselor, a godly friend, and you cannot make this decision in a hurry. And let me say this, it only works if both people surrender to God. It only works if both people obey God. It only works if both bring their heart to God. So here's where we find ourselves. Malachi is the end of the Old Testament. This is God setting up the nation of Israel. This is God setting up the family. This is God setting up the old covenant church, the temple, the priesthood, the sacrificial system, all that we've looked at so far. And every bit of that is a foreshadowing of the coming of Jesus. It's getting people ready for the first Christmas. So how is it going? Terribly. What do we do with that? Well, the big idea is this. Family without Jesus really doesn't work. Church without Jesus really doesn't work. Nation without Jesus really doesn't work. And the reason why it's not working, Jesus hasn't shown up yet. And so this creates a thirst, a hunger, a a longing, a desire. Where's the hope? Where's the answer? And in two weeks, I'll give it to you. But I'll, I'll give you an advanced screening. The answer is Jesus. That's the hope. That's always the answer. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.